0: Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbott Loop, visit abbottloop.org. Enjoy this message. I'm Pastor Michael Root. There are hundreds of ways to connect in this world. You can call someone or share a photo. You can travel to exotic locations and stay connected On your wall. You can even squeeze your connections into 144 characters. But what's the best way to connect? Connections happen best when we're in community. When we're in church, engaged in people's lives. Connections happen in small groups. When we invite people into our homes or have a cup of coffee together. <sighs> Connections happen with a smile, or a handshake, or even a simple good morning. Connections happen when we take the time to let others know they matter. Look, it all comes down to relationships you and someone else face to face. Take the time, make the time, get connected.
1: Well, hey there, church. How you doing today? We're glad you're here. My name is Michael Rue. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, just great to be here. Pastor Josh is actually suffering in Mexico right now, so I just wanted to take some time and intercede for him, and uh, let's pray right now. Just kidding. No, he's, he's, he's gone for a couple weeks. It's good to have a rested pastor. And uh, so this week, uh, we, as you know, we've been in this uh, series called Connection. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Josh started it off uh, talking about love connection and how sometimes we have these pseudo connections that are going on because of the digital age that we live in and how we have to press into authentic connections together. And last week, Pastor, jo- uh, pastor Reed actually talked about uh, being fully known and that in order to have really good connections, we have to be vulnerable. enough have to be known and let ourselves be known and know other people. And it creates confidence in our relationships together. Really enjoyed that message. I'm going to continue the series uh, uh, today. But before I actually uh, give you the title of my message, I've been thinking about this whole idea of, of connection. And because we're so... Hyper connected through our digital platforms, it's sometimes I think that there's kind of a smokescreen that we don't really see the value of connection as we need it. We want it, but we don't see it as we need it uh, all the time. And I would even say that there is a, a spiritual battle going on that is warring against us to actually connect to Jesus and even to the body of Christ. Now, why do I, why do I say there's a spiritual battle? because I believe everybody here in this room and outside of this room was designed to be on divine mission together. We were not just planted here just to kind of float on by, just kind of of go through the motions and just kind of go to work, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we know that we were designed for divine mission. And it's evident in Jesus' last words before he left earth. You know, it's said that when people leave or they're deploying for military purposes or if somebody's passing away, that it's said that they share their most intimate and important words with their loved ones and the people that are in their lives. And this is no different than what Jesus did. When we look at Jesus' final words before he left earth, here's what he said. Matthew 28, 18, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now we just got to stop right there. These are the first words of his final words. All authority has been given unto me. What what is he saying He's saying, guess what? I got this. I am above all. There is no equal, no rival. There is none before me, none after me. I got this. You can be confident in me that I am have all authority. This word also actually means, too, there's a divine delegation going on of authority, that Jesus is under God's authority. And then when we come into the family of God and we come under Jesus, we come under that authority and we can operate in that authority and push back the darkness. And that's what it means to really be on mission is that we are actually helping push the darkness back and be a light in the world around us. But this is so important that we actually hear this first, that Jesus said, all authority, because the next thing he says, empower, he empowers the next words, and it says, I have authority, therefore, go. And this word go uh, does mean, for some people, pack up all your stuff, sell your business, and go. And be my witnesses across the world somewhere. But this word also indicates that it's also to be on mission where you are at. Your, your home, your you workplace, know, your workplace wherever you go, to be on mission. And what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What I want to kind of talk about here is, what does it look like to be on mission? And how how does it get accomplished? Now, when you hear the title of my message um, you're going to be like, wait, that's, that's being on mission, really? It's, and the reason why you're, might, you might think that is because I think because of the culture that we live in, it's kind of been just left to the side. It's kind of just been put on the shelf a little bit and in, our, in our Western culture. And we don't see it as a value as much. And also it's going to be, it's because, you know, when we're on a mission, we've always heard about the Billy Grahams, reaching people for Jesus. And we, and we kind of look at those people that are just making these big impacts. And we kind of back up and we kind of go, well, I, don't, I can't really do that. And so we subconsciously kind of just disengage a little bit from the mission that God's called us to walk in. And I believe what we're going to be talking about today is actually a key that will sustain the church until Jesus comes back. And it's important to bring this out. And so what we're gonna be talking about today is connection through courageous hospitality. Courageous hospitality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your word is clear. We thank you that your word uh, just never returns void. That it's, it's constant, Father God. And we just thank you that we're under you. And I thank you, God, that as we are here today, that you would speak to us, that you would help us hear what you are saying to us today. Lord, we just love you today. And I pray that the, the best football team wins and that. I pray that the, the Vikings would have a better year next year in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah, amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had high hopes, high expectations going into uh, an event like maybe it's a date with somebody or maybe it's um, uh, going uh, into a new job or a new type of thing. Anybody had high expectations but only to find out that it ends up in disaster? Anybody like that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for those of you have, who have not experienced this, I'm going to bring you into the fold here a little bit, let you experience our pain together. Okay? Is that okay if we do that? Let's experience this together. Because uh, I found a little story that that kind of communicates this idea, and it goes like this: A young man called his mother excitedly, announced, and excitedly announced that he had just met the woman of his dreams. His mother said. Why don't you send, send her flowers and invite her to your apartment for a home-cooked meal? The day after the big date, his mother called to see how things had gone. Mom, the evening was a complete disaster, he replied. It was horrible. She goes, why? Didn't she come over? Yes, she came over, but she refused to cook. <laughs> Ooh, that hurts. <laughs> Yeah, so kind of a false expectation going into this thing, right? False starting point. It's almost like, you know, when you say you're going to jump into a ship and you're going to go from uh, New York and you're going to go to England, for example, and uh, your coordinates are maybe a couple degrees to the south and you didn't realize it. The first few hundred miles are pretty awesome, but when you get to the landmass, you're in Morocco, you know, Africa somewhere, right? And sometimes we, you know, how many of you... And, and myself included, have, come in, have kind of had expectations that somebody else is going to make my life great for me, or somebody else is going to make my dinner date awesome, or somebody else is going to make this church awesome. And what can happen is we can get this erroneous desire in our hearts that everything needs to be perfect, perfect conditions, perfect people, perfect everything, and what happens is we go, man, there's some diminished returns going on here. What's happening, people? What's wrong with you all? right? We kind of can get that into our, into our minds. And we forget that maybe we had some responsibility in the middle of it uh, to, one, to trust God, and two, to insert ourselves in the best way possible with an open hand. And sometimes we might forget, I know I do sometimes, forget what the starting point for God's mission is. And, uh, and so Jesus came to serve, not to be served, right? And he calls us in, into that place. And so as we do this, I believe hospitality is a vehicle that's going to yield kingdom results as we engage in hospitality. So I'm just going to break this up into three basic points. And the first point is the potential of hospitality, the provision of hospitality, and the power of hospitality. The potential, the provision, and the power. Let's take a look at the, the potential here. Just a couple definitions here of potential. The word potential Means having or showing the capacity to sh- to become or develop into something in the future. Another version of it is this: latent qualities I mean qualities that are there but aren't seen. They're kind of behind the surface that aren't haven't surfaced yet, or attributes that may be developed and lead into future success or usefulness. Like I said, I believe this idea of hospitality has been laying dormant. I think in the Western culture, the Western individualized culture, and that's one of the reasons why we haven't seen some of the power of what it can actually bring on a kingdom level. And one of the other reasons, too, is I would say it's because of me. It's because of the way that I see the church, and maybe because of the way that you might see the church. And maybe we've lost sight of what it actually can be, the potential of it. And here's the thing. Paul steps up to the plate, and he talks about this. He talks about these things that are latent that he wants to bring in. Take a look at what he says here. He says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that, was, that is the plan of the mystery hidden in, for ages in God, who created all things, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose, mission, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, courage, and access with confidence through our faith, in Him, What's he saying here? He's talking about, first of all, how he received this call by God's power to actually go and reveal, to bring, he talks about the unsearchable riches of God, the mystery that has been hidden for ages, that his responsibility is to preach it to so actually help bring to fruition those latent qualities, those potential qualities, and bring them out into our world but he knows that it's not just about him. He knows that it just doesn't hang on him, but he knows he has a responsibility to pass the baton. And he says these two little words, seemingly insignificant in this passage, and he says, I'm doing all this. And he goes, so that. And what does he say? He says, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Yeah. What is he saying here about the rulers and authorities? You know, there's in heavenly places, there's angels and demons. There's there's something going on in a realm that we cannot see. And what is he saying here? He's saying this. He's saying that those rulers and authorities in heavenly places see the church differently than you and I see the church. And they be why? Because they understand the true potential of what God has ordained the church to actually do and become. And they know that it's mind-blowingly powerful. That something, and so what is happening as a result, because they know the potential, there is a full-on war going on right now, resisting you and me. And so this is God's cosmic plan. This is his cosmic reality, that the forces of darkness get, are getting pushed back, and the light and victory of Jesus is being made known day by day, becoming more visible on the earth. And how is he going to accomplish this? Through his people. Really? I mean, okay, let's take a look around. Just, just take a look around here. Let's, let's kind of assess one another. Let's have an awkward moment. Okay. Sometimes I go, God, is this plan working? Is it working? I mean, really? I mean, ISIS and all the evils that are having, happening in the world, you mean we are his plan? Really? Yeah. Because the heavenly authorities see the church differently than we do. Let me illustrate this. In the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape is a demon, and he's talking to his nephew, Wormwood, and he's giving him instructions and strategy on how to affect us and how to battle against us. And he talks about how they see the church, and then he goes and talks about how we see the church. Here's here's what he says, his instructions to him. He says, One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity. Terrible as an army of banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters shudder. So they see, they understand. And then he goes and talks about how we might see the church. But fortunately, he goes on, it is quite invisible to these humans, all your patient sees is the half-finished sham uh, steeple on the new building estate. When he or she goes inside, he sees the frumpy man with, the rather, with rather an oily expression on his face bustling up to offer him one shiny little booklet containing liturgy, like the bulletin, right? And then one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and in the very small print. When we when he gets to his pew he looks around and he sees just that selection of his neighbors who he has hitherto avoided you want to lean pretty heavily on these neighbors make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the pew they know what's at stake and so what do they do they know that the, the church was designed to be this strong army with banners, and it threatens him. and makes him shudder. And so as a result, what are they doing? They do everything to limit the potential of the church by distracting us, getting our minds. So what do they do? He's talking about it. He tries to get the church to look like a sham. So what do they do? Oh, he gets us to focus on the off-key singer. By the way, there is no off-key singers today. Amen to that. Right? Good job, team. Excellent. Gets us to focus on the frumpy man with an oily face or those people that we want to avoid, like bald people. Um, but uh, God's called us to something different. He's called us to keep focused, to keep focused on the right thing. Why? Because he wants us to live to our fullest potential as his church. You know, but you might be here today and not feel like you're very worthy. You might feel maybe you're a victim of abuse in some ways, or maybe you don't feel like you totally fit in. Maybe you've gone to church for a long time, but just felt like you'd never been invited into something in the church. Just feel not connected because you feel like out of place maybe just a little bit. But I want you to know something. You are loved. You are loved here, and we love you. No matter what you have gone through, you are loved loved and God cares for you. And this is the reason why, because people are coming in and people are hurting. We all hurt at some point. And this is why the church needs to step into this beautiful thing called courageous hospitality. We got to fight through these things. We got to fight through um, racism. We got to fight through being afraid of of the other person. We got to fight through this thing of economic statuses we gotta, we got to see this as a very important thing, that the enemy is actually trying to limit the potential by what we see and how we think about it. And these petty arguments that just want to d- divide us because we are an army with banners, strong. And, and to break those barriers, it's so important. First, got to do it through prayer. Secondly, those prayers need to be activating us into action and making a difference by looking out and reaching out to people that are not like us. That's why hospitality is the unsung hero in Christendom. So if this is the truth, if we have all of this potential and God's called us to make a difference in the world, what does the provi- what does this look like? This leads us into the next point is the provision of hospitality. What is the provision of hospitality and what does it look like? First of all, it always starts with this. It always starts with understanding God's provision, Jesus' provision, to you as an individual. We all have a story. You know, when I was 18, I decided to go to YWAM. It's a youth of the mission, missionary program, six months in Spain. I was so excited. I raised this money, jumped on a plane, sitting next to this lady. I'm telling her about Jesus. I'm so excited. She probably thought I was a freak. I had hair then, so it's good. Um, so... But we get there. I'm so excited. The first couple weeks in, it was awesome. First month in, it was awesome. Then all of a sudden, something started changing in me, something I'd never experienced before. It was, I was raised in a Christian home, gave my life to Jesus when I was five. But as I was there, I felt something spiritually starting to happen to me. I just kind of felt like God kind of wasn't there or wasn't listening to me. It kind of felt like absent, like silence. And I started struggling like, what are you doing, God? I don't know what's happening inside me. I would pray, And I would pray for weeks, and just every day on my knees. God, I, and then at one point I was like, God, I just don't know. You've got to speak to me. Then all of a sudden this verse pops into my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. This is just me hoping something, you know, wishful thinking. And it was John 13:7, and here's what he said. Here's what it said. What I am doing, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. Right there, I was like, ooh, this is awesome. I felt like so excited. I got, you know, a drop in the desert. But I actually felt like God saw me. I actually felt God was there. I couldn't totally feel him like I felt like before. But God was doing something. He gave me confidence that he was doing something. And then I go, wait a second. What is the context of this verse? And I started reading the whole context of it. And it's when Jesus is actually providing supper, being hospitable to his disciples. And then at one point, he decides to get it from the table, take off his outer garment, fill a a basin full of water, and put a towel on and began to wash their feet. And you know the story. He starts washing the feet. He gets to Peter. Peter goes, you're not washing the dirtiest part of me. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. Get behind me, Jesus. Yeah, no, he didn't really say that. Reference to Get Behind Me, Satan, was Peter. So he was trying to get ahead of the game on that. And so he was like, no, you're not going to do this to me. I can't accept this. Because he goes, if you don't get washed by me, you have no part of me. Then he like, goes manic. He's like, well, wash every part of me then, he says. i <laughs> like, okay, what do you want here, bro? Um, but as I was going and thinking about it, I was like, here is Peter being washed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it dawned on me when I'm sitting there reading this, that Jesus was showing Peter that the Father's hospitality brings Jesus into the deepest and darkest parts of our lives. He brings us, and he wants to bring us in. I I was a stranger, and he brought me in, and he said, I am going to sup with you, and I'm going to clean you up, Michael. I'm going to Meet with you. And I realized that when I actually, this was happening to me, I was actually resisting Jesus. But at that, that, that moment, it helped me realize that God was doing something in my life, washing me up, cleaning me up. He was providing for me. It was his provision of hospitality that began the transformation process in me. You see, hospitality breeds authentic vulnerability, which paves the way for transformation. This is why the enemy hates it. Because when we, the church, offer it to people, he knows transformation is about to happen. Right? You see, because we actually, if I could categorize people, which is a pet peeve of mine to categorize people, I'm going to break my rule, we are all wandering strangers. Right? We get, so the enemy gets us focused on all these other things, right? But he wants us to focus on, we, we need to know that we are all strangers and God is calling us in. You see, but when he does this, he brings healing to our lives. He changes us. And sometimes it takes time. Never rush the process of God's healing in your life. He wants to bring healing into your life. Trust him in it. But when he does that, when you cook a good meal, and God is cooking a good meal in your heart, when you cook a good meal, it takes some time. I mean, I'm not a cook, but I just know. What good food tastes like, right? All right, that's spiritual experience right there. So he starts to provide for us, for us first, and then he starts implanting this mission inside of us. And I call it the provision mission. Provision mission. God begins to plant inside of us what he wants to, because you felt his compassion on you. In this same scripture, what does Jesus actually say? He goes on in John 13 after he washes his feet. He says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing comes when you do them. What does that look like? What does it mean to do them? Use this word called provision mission. How did Jesus live a provision mission? Two things. You know, Jesus, wherever he went, he was so excited. You might not read that in the Bible, but he was so, he had so much fun. And I'll just say this little side point, is that if we don't think Jesus is fun, we've actually embraced a religion, not a relationship. We got to realize that Jesus had fun everywhere he went. He was eating, he was going, and he was always hosting people. He was just eating all the time. I mean, I heard it said if you eat like Jesus, but you don't walk like Jesus, you end up looking like Buddha. I'm starting. I'm just starting. I got my one pack going on here, so you know, it's. It's interesting, see, but he celebrated everywhere he went. He had fun, but what was he doing? You see, that was his eternal entry point into everybody's lives, and then what did he do? He provided this space for people to actually engage with him and actually make a difference in their life. He was, it was an unforced space. It wasn't like this religious routine. It wasn't this program. It was, I want to meet with you. You know, in the tabernacle, the table of showbread, it's, you go in and right to the right is a table of showbread, and what that is is Jesus was the bread of life. And that whole idea, what it actually means is that to show his face is what it's talking about. And in in the Hebrew culture, the tables were short. So you had to sit on a pillow. And so you would actually be here. And that was on purpose because Jesus being the table of showbread, he wants to supper with you and he wants you to see him face to face. Not in big tables and chairs. He wants to meet with you. And the reason why he wants to eat with us is because he wants to meet with us. And he wants to meet with you. And he wants to change our lives. And he wants to make a difference in our lives. It's an unforced space of relationship. And then transformation happens as a result. The second thing, his provision mission, how he modeled it, was he reached out to people not like him. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Reed talk a great message about Zacchaeus. He called him short stag Zach, right? (laughs) Tax collector, somebody who um, was really not your friend. Jesus is walking and sees this guy in a tree, looks at him, and says, hey, I'm going to go eat with you at your house. First thing, I'm going to eat with you. He's calling him out because he loves him. You see, that's what the Bible, the Bible's awesome. And where are some other examples in the Bible that talk about this whole idea of reaching out to people that are not like us? Well, there's a classic example, or classic scripture, in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13.1, it says this, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Love that. It's not an event. It's a continuous thread of the kingdom that he's bringing out this hospitality. He wants to surface his hospitality. It's continuous. But then it goes on and says this. He ratchets up the expectation here and says this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That word, hospitality to strangers, is one Greek word and it's the word philoxenias. Now, the word philoxenias is actually the word, the xeno part is where we get the word xenophobe, which actually means fear of other people that are not like us, fear of other people, you know, other races, you know, other people that uh, don't have our same status as us. Fear of those. But he combines the word philo, which is brotherly love. He said, we are to have love of strangers. It's not just love for our friends. You know, love for our strangers. So he ratchets this importance level up. You know, in the in, in Bi- in Old Testament Bible times, this word probably made a little bit more sense than, than in our modern times. It makes sense in our modern times, but it makes even more sense back then. Because back then, when people would travel, this is in Genesis 18 and 19, he, people would value hospitality so much, one, because um, traveling was dangerous. They didn't have hotels like we had, right? We just expect in America, oh, I'll just go to a hotel. No, when they traveled, one, it was dangerous. Two, they didn't do it very much, and people didn't move that much. So they stayed in one spot. So you didn't know these people who were coming into town. So when somebody would actually come into town, they relied on people opening their homes, and they needed And here's how the process went back in those times. They would actually come to the gate, Outside the gate of the city, and they would wait. And they would sit there and wait until somebody in a warm space decided to go out to the cold space and invite them in. And then what they would do is they would wash their feet. This is what happened. They would wash their feet, they would give them some food, and then they would give them some rest. And they would give of their money, they would give of their time, showing hospitality. So they were dependent on it, it was huge. But in modern times, we don't see that as much because it's so easy. To go to a hotel. We don't, we don't need people to open up their homes, right? But think about this. He said, I said, they're out on the outside gate, right, waiting to be invited. How many of you have ever felt like an outsider? Maybe even in church. And Maybe don't fit in. And you're just waiting. To, you're, it's like you're out in the cold. And you're waiting to be invited into this space. And you know what, you know, how do you provide rest for weary people in a modern age? You know, when you just invite people in, what happens is, you know, when people don't feel invited, they kind of feel like, oh, I'm the outsider. There's a stress level that keeps going up and up. And all of a sudden, when we invite somebody in, what happens? We actually lower their stress level and give this weary traveler some peace in their heart that they are accepted. And that gives us the opportunity to invite them and go feed, feed them and let God wash their feet. It's huge. Super important. I just want to get really, really practical right now. What are some ways that we, as God's people, how can we practice hospitality and provide hospitality? Real quick, greet everyone you meet. Just greet everyone you meet. You know, facial expressions, huge. You know, when you smile at somebody, man, you know, it's just awesome. You know, the other, uh, we've been teaching our kids, you know, make eye contact with adults when they actually, you know, and Michaela does a good job, and we're getting our boys to actually do it a little bit better. Um, and so training them to do that, and the one time after we'd been training them, we, uh, I was talking to a person, and I happened to look at one of my boys, and one of my boys was like this. I wasn't sure what he was thinking, but I was like, guy, when a man stares at another man that long, it's time to throw down. So be careful staring too much, okay? But make eye contact, okay? Engage people. That's another one. Number two, engage people. You know, you have never met a mere mortal. The Bible says everybody has eternity placed in their hearts. They have this longing, this value. We can't let people just not be engaged. Another one is simple. We already said it. Eat together. Have coffee. I challenge every one of you here and myself once a month, eating with somebody, coffee with somebody. Another one is this. Pay attention. This is kind of like a, a soft, soft skill. Reading the room, emotional temperature of somebody, body language, you know, things they say. Help, that helps minister to people and minister to their needs and be hospitable to them. Another one, invite people into your space, meaning your home. I challenge another one, one time a month, inviting them in. Invite, invite your colleagues to church, to your spiritual home. So church, small groups, ministries that are happening. Another one, host a small group. Pastor Frank was talking about how we have small groups starting up here, February 17th. I challenge you to get involved in a small group. I challenge you to begin to go down the path of leading one. Go through our leadership track, and you can become a leader in our small groups. And the last one is this become a ministry team member. This is our volunteers. We don't call them volunteers because we don't believe you're volunteering. We believe you are ministering and you're investing your time. It's an investment. I encourage, just imagine if everyone here actually volunteered once a month in the church, first service and second service, we would start to see a hospitality explosion happening. We would see something happening, and then I wouldn't it wouldn't be me going, hmm, I'm, uh, can you provide for me over here? No, we're going in, right? I encourage us in that, right? Because we were designed to build community through our time, our talent, our resources, our money, and extend ourselves forward. That leads us into the, the, the last point, and that's the power of hospitality. The power of hospitality. So where does the power of hospitality come from? And how does it not become something um, not different than a social club? Well, we have two resources for power. And it goes back to the first thing that Jesus said. So I'm going to go back to his last words, but I'm going to go back to the last of his last words before he left. And he says this. He says, and behold. And that word behold means, look, see. I am with you to the end of the age. We've heard it said other ways in the Bible. I will never leave you or forsake you. But how does this bring power to hospitality and what I'm and what we're doing. I mean, yesterday we were at a, a basketball game with our kids, and uh, this one kid he was he shot the ball. It was the first game of the season. He shot the ball and he made it, and he starts running back to to get on defense, and he looks up to the stands. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, he was like looking at his mom and dad, and it's like I was like, what is that? I thought, what is that? That is the power of presence. You see, okay, he would have been excited if he made it and his parents weren't there, but man, was he really excited because his parents saw it. The power of presence in somebody's life actually gives us a resource inside to do. He was on purpose. He was doing something exciting, right? And his his parents got to see it. But you see, these words that Jesus said, that I will never leave you or forsake you, those are hospitable words. I am there with you. And I believe when we truly believe those words, that it will free us from the pull, the gravitational pull of Western individualism and keep us out of our self-protected miser, uh, earthquakes, uh, leave away, you know, get away kind of a thing. Um, You know, miser ourselves up and not be giving. But it frees us to go, you know what? When I trust God to be my resource and not me to be my resource, guess what? I can run down the basketball court and be like, I'm doing your will, God. I'm doing what you call me to do. Yeah, he's like, yeah, right. He's probably on the court with you. He's running with you. Right? He's excited. He wants to be with us. So when we look at this, how do we actually know that he'll never leave us or forsake us? I mean, I mean I just, am I just blowing smoke up here? What's going to let that sink into our hearts? Well, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 12 says, So Jesus also suffered, Outside the gate. Listen to this. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. See, Jesus, he experienced the exact opposite of hospitality, as the Bible says. How do we know this? You see, hospitality is what? The person on the outside in the cold is waiting to be invited in until somebody in the warm comes out and grabs them and brings them and invites them in. Jesus was on the inside. He was in the warm place. And guess what? He got kicked out and got killed for it. The exact opposite happened to him. And why did this actually need to happen? Well, when we look at the very beginning of time, there's this place that we know is called the Garden of Eden. What does that represent? It represents wholeness, belonging, no disease, no parting, knowing knowing God and being known. But then when sin entered the scene, they got kicked out of home, and they were weary and travelers. And Jesus sees this, and Jesus decides to come from his home, and he comes down to earth. And he comes down to earth, his own people that he made. Right? And we're talking about, how do we know um, that God is uh, always for us, and he's actually with us? Because when he decided and gets kicked out of the city, he begins, and he gets up on the cross, and what does he say? Father, Father, he says, why have you forsaken me? He took on homelessness on a cosmic level because he knew we needed it. He wanted to bring us back in to this place and so that we were not travelers weary anymore. He wanted to bring us in. He was cast out so we could be brought in. And Ephesians 2 even talks about this in verses 12 and 19. It says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This reassures you and me that God is with us forever because he was forsaken by his God, his Father, because he needed to pay the price of sin that we could not bear. And he had to bear that forsakenness. Why? So he could bring us home so that we would never be forsaken. That's why he's with you. That's the power of God knowing that he will never leave you or forsake you. He was with you always. He died to make, you make room in the household of God. That's the first thing, God's presence with us. The second thing that gives us power in this hospitality adventure is knowing that this is not our home. There is a home that is awaiting for us. You see, what is this? Uh, it, we look at um, Hebrews 13. How do we know this? Hebrews 13 says, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What is this city? Well, Revelations 21 and 22, there is the city of God at the end of time. And in that city is what? The tree of life. What is that representing? The garden of Eden re-established again. That God began to re-establish the Garden of Eden again because why? He wants to bring us home. He is, like the song said, there is now a home for the orphans. There is a home for the stranger. There is a home for everyone who feels cast out. And he opens this gate, this home, and we see this desire being fulfilled. Belonging, knowing, acceptance again. It's going to be realized, but this is not our final home. How many of you love Narnia? Narnia people here? All right. That's cool. I like Narnia. At the end of one of the Narnias, one of the guy's characters says this, says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all of my life though I never knew it. We are looking for something that we don't have yet, but we keep looking for it. We keep longing for it. And guess what? We know Jesus is actually the head host at this place, at this feast. Why did Jesus, when I was talking about when he was here on earth having a party and celebrating all the time, why did he eat so much? Why was he providing so much? He was speaking an unspoken message by his actions. He was actually beginning to show you that I am the host. I am the host of hosts. And I am the one, I'm going to show you. I love having fun. I love having a party. I love going out to this. Why? Because at the end of the age, I'm going to hold the best feast you will ever imagine. He's going to take care of us, He's going to bring you and I home at the end of the age. He displayed what it means, and in that moment, he's gonna satisfy every need that you ever had. You don't have to go to extramarital affairs. You don't have to have sex outside of marriage. You don't have to go to those things. You know, God offers forgiveness for those things. Obviously, we love that, but you know what? Because there's more to come, we don't have to jump into those things. God has so much more for you, every desire met. And if we know that, we will pay the cost. of courageous hospitality. Hebrews 13, verses 13 says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. What? Jesus went outside the camp. Now he's saying something else? Look, he says, now let you and me go outside the camp. You You mean, I gotta go out where it's cold? Yep. This is the sacrifice he's calling us into to go out into the cold, to see the people that are not like us, philo exenias, the stranger, love of strangers, and reach out. He's calling you and me to see the church as he sees it. The army of God with banners that wants to explode, and he wants us not to do it just with prayer, huge and important, actions. Imagine if we did this together. Imagine if the little C and the big C church did this together. What we would see and how we would cause the demons to shudder in hell. Because you are powerful. You have God's authority. He is with you. His authority is over you and you're under it. And that was his final words. I got this. You can have confidence. You can release your finances to help people. You can release your time to help people. Trust that I will resource you on the back end. And you'll run on that court, and you'll be like, yeah, I got this, because I'm with my Father. I have His authority, and we can go after it. So whatever cost it is for you and me to invite somebody to church, to invite them over, to look them in the eye, to give to people, that cost pales in comparison to the cost and price that jesus paid on the cross for us he set the example and we get to be along the ride and be with those hosts and bring people in you know i'm just gonna say this i didn't say this in the last term, but, but i really appreciate a couple of people everybody here but i'm just thinking of rick and ducey rogers you see uh, they care deeply they're, they're, they're leaders of the first impressions. <clears throat> and when I talk to them, I hear them always talking about how to make things better for you all. They're always talking about, how do we bring follow-up better? How do we do this better? They're always thinking about the other. And they're thinking about the, the church and how to make a difference. Man, oh man, that's powerful. I want to encourage us to think that way. I know many of you do. I don't want to encourage you there. Well, we're going to go into a time of response here. And uh, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak, and just ask that question: What is God saying to you right now? Whatever it is, I'm not going to box you in. Whatever it is that God's speaking to you, think about: What does God want? What line does He want you to cross today? Towards hospitality. And we're gonna we're gonna worship here in a little bit. But before we do, I want to give an invitation to anybody who wants to receive the host of hosts again today who wants to receive Jesus for the very first time in their life. So if everyone would, would bow their heads and close their eyes, just want to give a little bit of privacy in this moment. And if you have never invited Jesus, the one who wants to sup with you, the one who wants to make a difference in your life, if you have never done that, and you want to today, say, I want to, I want to take a step of faith here and let Jesus come in to my life, just pop your hand up See one in the back there. Awesome. Over there. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Praise the Lord. This is an opportunity just to let Jesus come in your life. Another one over here. Awesome. Thank you. This is not magical. It's spiritual. This is something where we just say, I'm going to do business with Jesus and receive him. Let him pay for my own sin. So let's pray together. If you, if you wanna say this today, just repeat this after me. Jesus, thank you for making a way and paying for my sin on the cross. I receive that gift right now. I ask that you come into my life and change me, make me new, make me your son or daughter. Thank you for doing that. I walk away from my sin and I walk into your arms. Make me new again. Thank you for doing that, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. We hope to see you soon.